no one than this. Than someone that would lay down their life for their friends. Greater love. There's no greater love, Jesus says, than a person that would lay down their life for their friends. Think about this. Greater love has no man than this, than someone that would lay down their life for their friends. We are in the middle of a series called Not Today, Satan. And uh, if you've missed the first few weeks, it's essentially a series where we're saying, we're, we're putting a stake in the ground, we're, we're staking a claim in the name of Jesus, the devil, we're telling the enemy that this territory has been claimed, this territory, uh, my life, uh, the blood of the cross has covered me, has saved me, has redeemed me, is sanctifying me, is making me new, and you have no ground to come inside, right? That's, that's what the series is about. So week one, we talked about not today, Satan, not my home. And we created this, this uh, uh, outward analogy about it's as if you were standing on your front porch or on your roof, and you're saying, not today, Satan. Or as, as Jesus said it in, in, in the book of Matthew, when he was tempted in the wilderness, uh, he was face to face with the devil, and the devil tempted him in three different ways. And essentially at the end of that chapter in Matthew, Jesus says, be gone, devil. Be gone. I love that. If I could see or hear anything, I would love to hear Jesus say those words to the enemy. Be gone. It's this picture that you're standing in front of your home, that all the people in your life, that the people that you, uh, or the, the, the spouse that you're married to, or the kids that you have, or the, the people in your home, that they, that is, this is God's ground. Like, I'm staking a claim in the name of Jesus, and the devil cannot come in. So then the last uh, couple weeks, uh, we went and we dove into, not today, Satan, not my kids. And we talked about praying over your kids and dreaming your kids and what that looks like and then last week was mother's day not today satan not my mom that was what the title was and katie castro brought it and she she made it a, a really great clear plea about the importance of our relationship uh of a mother and a child this week um not my friends not my friends so this one is actually one of the ones that I was thinking about when, when we were trying to put this whole thing together. This was the week I was kind of spinning on, chewing on. Um, because I think friends kind of covers pretty much everybody in your life that's not related to you, that's not your child or not your spouse. Not my friends. And what I wanted to do is just take a moment this morning and talk a little bit about Jesus' friends. You know, Jesus had friends when he was on earth, when he was here for 33 years. Uh, in John 15, uh, he expresses this, and this is something that I never even, I never really got a clear picture about, or I have a clear understanding about, until I really started diving into this aspect. And essentially, Jesus saying, not my friend, Satan, it didn't just require words, it required action. It actually 
required his life. And I just want to take a few moments this morning to kind of dive into that um, and what that looks like. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help, clarity, voice this morning. Jesus, thank you for moving and working and doing what you always do. God, we don't take that for granted. We know that there are times where we, we lean into your, your spirit or we lean in to do the right thing. We lean in to hear your voice and sometimes it's silence. Sometimes it's just difficult. Sometimes it's cloudy. But I thank you that the last couple days especially, I thank you that recently we're hearing your voice, we're hearing your word, we're eager to obey, we're staking a claim in your name. So this morning I just ask that every single person in this room that, that has friends, and sometimes their friendships has been a, an area of excitement and, and newness, uh, but for maybe people in this room as well, the the area of friends has been a source of hurt, a source of pain, a source of confusion. I just pray that this morning we just, in this moment, in this passage in John 15, that we would just see what does it look like to be a good friend? And are we down for the challenge of friendship? Thank you, Jesus. Speak to us. In your name, amen. Are you down for the challenge of friendship? So, have I ever told you about the Tennessee Trust Fall? Okay, I'm going to tell you about the Tennessee Trust Fall. Uh, it was 2004. I was right out of college. I was uh, married to, uh, newly married to my wife, Brianne. And we were thrust into ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, we were in a place uh, called Macon Road Baptist Church. Don't judge my Baptist roots, all right? Uh, it was an exciting new thing. I was a campus pastor uh, and a youth pastor, and I was starting a youth program that was non-existent, uh, and it was, <laughs> it was a lot of fun, and it, it ended up being that first summer where there was a ragtag of, like, kids that were just out of nowhere, like came to church probably just because of the donuts. How I know, how I know, and I can smell that out because I, I would, I'm with them. I'm with you guys. Maybe that's why they love me. But we would drive, we would pick them up in the church bus in the morning before church, and we would take these kids home after church. And um, there was specifically these two kids, uh, Philip and James, they were brothers. They were like, they were like 12, but they looked like they were 19. They were just, they were huge. I mean, they were the funniest kids. Um, they, and they were from a pretty rough area of Memphis and didn't have a lot. And so literally, like, guys, where's Philip and James? Where are, we're in the bus ready to go, and here they come with, like, the leftover boxes of donuts that the church didn't eat. No joke. This is, like, so exciting for them. They get in the church van, and they, they're gone by the time we get home pretty much every week. But it's just this ragtag group of individuals. And maybe you've heard this story before. Uh, 
because it's, it's actually, I still blame back issues I have based on this little uh, learning experience uh, as a youth pastor back in 2004. But we, we scrounged, up enough, scrounged up enough money and we took these kids, uh, there was about nine of them, we took these kids to a camp um, in Middle Tennessee and, uh, oh my goodness, I, I just blows my mind thinking about it because it was the most random, diverse, eclectic group of kids you could imagine. Um, and here we are. And guess what? Today at camp, guys, is the day we're going to do the high and low ropes course, the challenge course. This is where we learn to be a team. This is where we learn to be friends. This is where we just like gel together and be unified. As you heard like the different ladies speak this morning about what it was like to be unified and feel like you're part of a tribe. Like this was like the speech I was giving and this is the moment, guys, where we come together, right? So I will never forget like this, it, there was these competitions with other uh, youth groups and like they were done before we were still in the first one. It was, it was awful. It was awful. It was not a very good confidence-boosting moment. Until we came to the trust fall. Um, and if you've been a part of a trust fall, raise your hand if you've ever been a part of a trust fall. Um, um, and, and, and I believe that this story is another reason why I have trust issues. Um, <laughs> literally, this is how it goes. The guy leading the thing who's like college-age kid and he's telling us how it works. Like, okay, you're going to climb up on this log. And you're going to stand with your toes on this and your team is behind you, and you're going to cross your arms, and you're going to say, ready, and they say, ready, and then you go, and you fall, and you trust them to catch you. Now, they lined up, uh, all nine of them. My wife was one of them. <laughs> and they were to hold their arms like this, right? Uh, but nine of them together, and all this, I mean, I was, I was a little thinner then, but like, come on. Uh, they had to catch all of my weight falling, free falling onto them, right? Which I'm terrified of height, which is probably another reason. There's, I got issues, tons of them. It probably plays into this. But they're, they're lined up ready to go, and I've done this before. Um, in fact, I worked at a camp where I like, led these groups, and I was like, guys, you got to lock your arms crisscross like this. Otherwise, it could be disastrous. And the guide overruled me. He wasn't the one standing up here. He's the one giving orders. And he's like, no, no, no. That's how we dislocate arms. I'm like, are you serious? He's like, no. They just hold it really stiff, like, like their arms really strong and stuff like that. And I'm like, all right, here we go. So I trusted this guy, right? This is a horrible experience, the more I'm telling it, right? Um, so here we go. <laughs> I think it was something... This is like a relay, relay of thing, uh, a thing that you say is like trust, trust away, and then you say falling. It's some cheesy thing like that because the whole point was trust, right? So I go, and I fall, <laughs> and I go right through them, and I land so hard on the ground. I will never forget. I was probably not a very kind pastor at that moment. Um, <laughs> you shouldn't swear in front of the children. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I was so angry because it hurt really bad. I got dropped, and here I was down on the ground. Uh, there's this phrase that, that says, are you up for this? Are you, are you up for the challenge? I would actually use the phrase this morning, 
um, are you down? Because for me, I was down, like literally down. They dropped me so bad. But I promise you this, they did not drop Philip and James because they learned to close the gap. See, there was this, this moment for me that was so angry. I probably wasn't having a great attitude laying on the ground in pain. Like, you guys are my friends. Come on. But it, there's this challenge that I want you to see in this story for you in your friendships. And this being, Satan, not, not my friends. I first have to ask you, are you down for the challenge of friendship? Are you down for the challenge of friendship? Because that's actually sometimes what it looks like. We, we all seek friends for good things, right? But we find ourselves maybe hurt by the reality of things. This is a, this is a challenging subject. Um, in, like, if I could describe for you the definition of, of what a friend is, I don't think it would do it justice, but I would, I would challenge you what the definition of no friends is. That's a better way to define what a friend is. I mean, I hear it from my daughter in the kindergarten. Every day after school, it's like this whole, like, up and down, like, she's got all these friends and she's so happy, and then the next day it's like, so-and-so was mean to her, so-and-so was pinched her, so-and-so did this, this, and this, and she has no friends, and there's this pit in my stomach that's like, ah! Like, when that doesn't happen, I don't know what sometimes it looks like to have friends, but for her, I know what it's like for her to not have friends. See, having friends is actually, can be an, a, a dangerous place. Um, a hurtful place. So here we are, we're in John 15, and, and this is a true intimate moment for the disciples and Jesus. They'd spent years together. They'd been ministry together. They had seen Jesus heal and teach and lead and love and love and love. And as they saw that, they wanted to be a part of that. And there was this temptation for them to, to, to misconstrue or misunderstand what Jesus was trying to bring them into. And so when Jesus brings up this idea of friendship, they even get confused about it as well. But let's read the account in John 15. I'm going to pick up in verse 9. As the, this is Jesus. Imagine this moment. He's sitting around a table. It's dark. Candles are lit. Their bellies are now full. They're eating. They're relaxed. They're calm. They don't need to yell or speak loudly. There's just this moment where Jesus, the Son of God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords is speaking and they're listening. And they're trying, like some of his words seem cryptic or hard to understand, but they're trying to pick up on what he's laying down. And Jesus said, in verse 9, follow along with me if you would, verse 9 of chapter 15, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. 
You see, this whole chapter, this whole section, the connection point is love. It begins the chapter with that, I am the, that Jesus is the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch that does not bear fruit. He goes on and on to talk about us bearing fruit and us doing things and all these metaphors of what He is calling us to do and wanting us to do because He's leaving. But it's all connected. It's all held together. It's all knit together by one thing, by love. Jesus says, abide. Guys, guys, abide. Abide. Stay. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that your joy, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. It's as if I imagine at that moment, that quiet moment, he stops for a second. And in the silence, the silence grabs their attention. And he looks them right in the eye. And he says, this is my commandment. This is my encouragement. This is my requirement. Guys, this is it. If you hear nothing I say, Peter, James, like he went, I can imagine by name, looking them in the eye and saying, my commandment is that you love one another as I have loved you. Not your definition of love, my definition of love. And they probably knew exactly, think about this, they probably knew exactly what Jesus' love looked like. They probably knew exactly what Jesus' love looked like. And then he went on to say, Greater love has no one than this, than someone to lay down their life for his friends. So they're in the middle, the context is they're in the middle of a pretty tumultuous political time where their country has been taken over by the Romans, they're conquering the world, there's submission there, there's violence there, like this is not, so like when he's talking about death or someone laying down their life, this, there's a lot of things that may have come to their mind, but they may not have thought that, they, that Jesus was actually talking about himself. And Jesus is defining love by saying this, like the greatest way that you can love someone is to lay your life down for them. Then he goes on, as he looks them in the eye and he says, you, you are my friends. You're my friends. If you do what I command you, if you love like I love, if you do what I command, no longer will I call you servants. For the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. He like opens the door for what's about to happen. No greater love 
than if somebody was going to lay down their life for their friends. And guys, I'm your friend. Jesus is putting himself, he's laying himself down to show the greatest love. That, As Jesus says, the greatest way to show love is to lay down your life for his friends. And he's getting ready to do this. But here's the thing that blew my mind. Here's the thing that got me. Like, Jesus is king. He is God with skin. He is Lord of lords. He is Prince of Peace. He is on and on and on. He is God, right? But have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus had friends? That Jesus had buddies? That when he was spending all of his time, he was investing in these young men. These B-team junior varsity guys. Like right here. For him, he's saying, you guys, you are you're my buds, my pals, you're my friends. That got me. Because think about this. Think about, like, I don't know what it looked like for Jesus to, when he came to earth. And obviously he was born of a Virgin Mary. Obviously we know how that process looked like from a, a, a human standpoint. But what did that journey look like from heaven to earth? For Jesus. Like, did it take a second? Did it take uh, a month? Like, did he ride an angel? Did he fly? Like, I, we don't know. But I'm just trying to imagine. If you just would go with my imagination for a moment. What did it, what was the thought process of Jesus when he was coming to earth? Try to put yourself in his shoes for a moment. Yes, he was coming to die. Yes, he was coming to be raised from the dead. Yes, he was coming to heal. Yes, he was coming to help. Yes, he was coming to teach. Yes, he was coming to to proclaim that God is his father. Yes, he was coming to do all of these things. But you know what his human side was thinking about? I'm going to know what it's like to have a friend. A friend. Like a human friend. So when Peter denies Jesus, when Judas betrays Jesus, when all his other friends scatter, we get a little bit deeper of a glimpse of what it was like for Jesus to die. His buddies left him out of fear. Friendship. Today isn't so much a stake a claim in the name of Jesus. It's not a boundary, a perimeter that you're putting essentially around your home. Um, if that's been claimed, if your home's been claimed, your kids have been claimed, covered in the blood of Jesus, you're good to go. Now God is actually calling you to leave. He's actually wooing you out to say, go and find friends. Go and be. And so for them, it's not, uh, it's, or for you this morning, it's not this moment of like, okay, all right, now I, I got to gather my friends, you know, get my leg out and be like, not today, say, leave my friends alone. No, 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 no. This is, this is you sent on a pioneer mission trip. This is you sent on mission in your friendships. Wherever, whenever, however. This is you being sent out. Not today, Satan, not my friends. What is the greatest influence in your friend's life? You. 
You are the greatest influence in your friend's life. And in fact, if you know what I know, or if you've experienced what I've experienced, one of the things that, one of the ways that Satan wants to hurt your friends is through you. He wants to hurt your friends through your words, through your actions, through your demeanor, through your silence. He wants to use you to hurt them. But you know what I think the greatest tool of the devil to our friends is? I think the greatest tool, or the greatest objective for the devil to use us in our friend's life is to think that friendship is about us. It's to think that friendship is about us. Jesus, when he says, greater love has no man in this than he would lay his, that someone would lay their life down for their friends. Jesus is defining and he's taking himself out of it. Is Jesus actually asking you to die, like, like completely die for your friends? He's asking for you to take this life that you have, this opinion that you have, this perspective that you have, this experience that you've lived. He wants you to lay that down for your friend. He wants you to lay that down for your friend. So why do we choose friends? Why do we desire friends? Why do we, uh, why do we want to be a part of friendships? Go to Colossians uh, chapter 3, if you will. Colossians. Colossians 3 and verse 12 says, Put on then God's, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Listen, listen to these words. Compassionate hearts. Kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love. Love. It's really simple, right? Like when you are seeking friends and you're being a friend and now you're being sent out on a pioneer mission trip to be a friend to someone, like it's all about love. Like this is really, really simple. And for us, when we read this, like when you hear these words about compassion and kindness and meekness and patience and bearing one another's things, a lot of times we think about how, what that would be like for us to experience that. When in reality, he's challenging them to get out there and be those things. We all love to be a part of a church, but God is calling us to be the church. Not just to be a part of a church, but to be an extension, the bride of Christ to the world. That's what he's asking us to do. That's what he's inviting us to do. So all these things seem great, but a lot of times we have these friendships and we want something else. We want them to fulfill something that's missing inside of us. So a big part of what I want to talk about today was social media. Instagram or Facebook or whatever social media platform you're on. Is there anybody uh, that uses social media? Raise your hand. 
I will not ask if you're not using social media because that'd be embarrassing. But uh, if you are using social media, keep your hand up if, in any way, shape, or form, whether you're on there every five seconds or every five years, whatever it is, okay, you can put your hand down. There's, there's a social life that we have. And a lot of times this uh, pulpit or church's pulpit has been used to uh, downgrade uh, social media or to criticize social media. And I'm not going to do that today. In fact, I would actually argue in a completely different argument that social media, you need to be on social media. Now, if that's not for you, 100% okay. It's not for everybody. But I feel like for me, it's a way to speak love. It's a way to speak truth. It's a way to throw out pictures of my kids and fun things like that, right? It is not a place to debate. It, it is not a place to argue. It is not a place to poke fun and be unkind. It is not a place to state how you're so correct and right and everyone else is so wrong. But you already know this anyways, right? But what is, what is the reason why we go on Facebook? When you Remember the first time you made your account uh, Instagram or Facebook or whatever, and you first made your account, like, what was the desire to do that? It's because, like, all of your friends <laughs> pressured you to do so. Or maybe, uh, yeah, family out of the area, and they pressured you, like, I want to see pictures of the kids, but I want to move up on Facebook. So they maybe pressured you to do that. And so being a part of social media, here loud and clear, it's amazing, it's awesome. There are lots of downsides. We'll get into that, to that another day, but there are lots of positives. But when you seek friendship, when you seek social media, when you seek that friendships, there's two things I think that we need. There's two things that I think we gravitate towards, not that we need. There's two things that we gravitate towards. And one is significance, and one is love. I want to dive down a little bit deep on this. So significance and love are two, if you, if you just give me a second, I think they are completely different. But sometimes they look similar. Sometimes they look very, very similar. See, significance, like I, I want to be noticed. I want to be important. I want to be seen. Um, <laughs> like, do you know how many friends you have on Facebook? Anybody, like, anybody know or, you, like, you keep track or anything like that? In studying this, uh, it was, it was like, the, it was like, whoa, I didn't know I knew that many people. That's awesome. But apparently you did. I have, like, a thousand, or right at a thousand followers on Instagram. I'm like, wow, I'm really awesome. And then I look at all these other places. I'm like, oh, they have 23,000. I'm not so awesome. So there's this moment, there's this, like, this, if, you're, if you just are human with me for just one moment, you, you, you kind of get excited about the significant factor. Imagine this. You take a video of your child doing something so funny, and to you it's so funny, right? You got like two likes, right? Like this is so funny, what's happening? Or, or you take all these parents that did the same thing. They took a video of their child doing something, saying something, creating something, and they post it on YouTube, they post it on social media, and it goes viral. And there's millions and millions and millions of, of hits or views. And they feel significant. Look at me. Yeah. Now I'm on Good Morning America. Now everybody knows, right? Past that feeling of like that shallow or that, that thing that I'm talking about. In reality, we seek friendships, not just social media, but we seek friendships sometimes to feel 
loved or to feel um, valued, to feel important, to have attention, to belong, to be a part of the tribe, to be a part of what's happening, right? Sometimes it's based on ego. Sometimes it's just based on, like, I'll feel better about myself if I belong to a certain crowd or a certain person. Um, sometimes it's based on attention. Sometimes, if you would agree with me on this, like, sometimes videos, especially on social media or, or, or YouTube, aren't always, like, the ones that get millions and millions of views, just because there's a quantity doesn't mean it's always quality. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Um, Yanni and Laurel is probably a great example of that. Uh, three weeks from now, no one have no idea what that meant. It's not so much about the quality, but it's, there's this quantity factor that makes people feel significant. Significance is based on condition. It's what you did. It's what you filmed. It's what you said. It makes you feel significant. The friends you have make you feel significant. You know what reveals, I think, whether you feel this way or not, is think of your last birthday. Think of your last birthday. Especially, actually, I won't have you raise your hand. Somebody here that's not on Facebook, I'm talking to you. If you're not on Facebook, think of your last birthday. Did you feel significant and valued and important? Does it hurt a little bit? Like, have you ever, anybody had a birthday and, like, your spouse or someone forgot? Okay, you're scared to raise your hand. Like, okay. Thank you, Facebook. Facebook reminds you. Like now 4,000 of your friends have said happy birthday. They haven't seen since third grade, but thanks for telling me happy birthday. This is just great. But there's something about that that we think in our friendships, in our relationships, that we're significant because they remembered us. They remembered the day I was born. They remembered my anniversary. They remembered to invite me. They remembered to you fill in the blank. There's something about feeling significant. But love, love is better. Love is better than significance always. Why? Because love is based on how we are made. God made you to love. He made me to love. It's how he brought us together. It's what makes us feel fulfilled and filled with joy. Is that when you truly love someone, and it's not about feeling significant. It's not about, like, confidence of, like, I, I look good or sound good or I feel good around you. It's about I get to love you. And in, in loving you, in pouring everything out to you, in laying my life down for you, I do feel significant because in my identity, this is how God has made me. He's made me to love you. It's what we are made to do. Better yet, for Jesus, <coughs> he would say, this is what you're commanded to do. I know a commandment may sound like a little bit of an intimidating word, maybe not so acceptable in 2018, but, but listen for a second. God said so. <laughs> he said to love one another. And he's doing that not to challenge you or test you, even though it will be an absolute test, an absolute challenge. He's telling you that because he knows how you're wired. He knows that if you go into a friendship, if you go into friendship trying to seek significance, you will never find significance. But if you go into a friendship seeking to love them, then you will feel loved. And they will feel loved because 
be about them and Christ through you. And not just about yourself. When it's love, this is the very thing that we are. And it's the very thing that we will be accountable for. It's unconditional. It's not like significance. It's based on God's love for us, which is unconditional. The picture of God's love to us is how we should love one another this way. Does that make sense? Are you following me? So over and over and over, love is better than significance. Um, <laughs> do you, uh, I want you to examine the relationships you're in, the friendships you're in right now. Maybe it's a lot, maybe it's few, maybe it's one. What is that relationship based on? Is it based on significance or is it based on love? Jesus based his relationships on love. Notice Jesus wasn't ego-filled, even though he was God. He wasn't ego-filled. He wasn't filled with, what do I get out of these guys? Because think about it this way. Jesus is literally sitting at this moment that I described earlier. Greater love is no one than this, that someone that laid down his life for his friends. He is not feeling like these guys are going to follow through with this in return. And Jesus is going to feel truly loved by his friends. Because they completely abandoned him. He knows that it turns around and he knows the end. And he knows what will happen eternity forever and ever and ever with these guys. But in that moment, in that human moment, he's basing his friendships on love, not significance. The friendships that you have right now, including perhaps your spouse, including perhaps your kids, but the friendship that you have, what is the basis of it? What is the motive of it? Is it to make yourself feel better, look better, sound better? Or is it about them? Is it about them? I feel like I need to make this, um, I feel like I need to make this disclaimer that if you, if you are a part of a friendship, if you are a part of a relationship that is abusive, that is um, enabling, in any way, those aren't called friends. Jesus, and I'll be just blank, blunt, Jesus calls those enemies. Okay? But guess what? What does Jesus say to do with your enemies? Love them. Gotcha! Right? You gotta love them no matter what, whether they're your friend or your enemy. See, even Jesus... <laughs> Even it's like the baseball, or when you're trying to figure out who's going to be it when you're a kid and you grab the baseball bat and you're like, ah, ha, ha, and you get to the top. You know what I'm talking about? It's like Jesus had the final say in that. That even your enemies, you got to love. Even your enemies, you got to love. But understand this that if you're in a place, if you're in a relationship, if you're in a friendship, and over and over and over, your love, the love that is about them, about Christ through you, Christ in you, the power of the Holy Spirit in you, working through you to love that person, to create a clear path to God for that person. If that person 
is abusing you, they're not a friend. They're not a friend. And I would encourage you strongly to get out of that. Okay? God's not asking you to be a floor mat for them to walk on, for them to be enabled. All right? He's asking you to stand in the truth and to completely, completely lay down your life for them. You're not living for the cause of their growth. You're not living for the cause of their perfection. You're living for the cause of Jesus Christ. Of Jesus Christ. Now, um, this final quote I want to read to you. Uh, any Bob Goff fans? Okay. The, he is, I don't think he's human. He is the Jesus wizard. Um, uh, he's an incredible guy. He's written a couple books. He says this quote. I want to leave you with this. That instead of telling, this is affecting my life. This is personal. This is, this is something that's like got me. Instead of telling people what they want, we need to tell them who they are. This works every time. He says we will become in our lives whoever the people we love most say we are. We need to become that peace in people's lives. You being a friend, you speaking truth, you being love, a lot of times, most of the times, it's our words. So just when Jesus called, Jesus wanted them to be friends. So he called them friends. He says who they were. This identifies their identity and that it's not based on, hey guys, I just want to, uh, he did say, if you keep my commandment, you'll be my friends. Well, that sounds kind of weird. Like, have you ever said that to one of your friends? Like, hey, if you do this, you can be my friend. You give me tacos, you'll be my friend all day long. It's conditional, right? And Jesus put a condition. He's like, if you keep my commandment, then you'll be my friends. But what was the commandment? To love one another. Hey, if you love one another, if you love one another as I've loved you, then you're my friends. That condition was put. He's calling them out because he already, he doesn't see the current person. He sees the future person. He sees what Christ impacting them will do in their life. You don't have to answer for their life. They have to answer for their life. You have to answer for you. You have to answer, not insignificance, you don't, but you do have to answer for how you loved. This has impacted me greatly. Conduit. You want to know who are the most generous people, the most loving people, the most ready to serve, authentic, creative, amazing people I know are? You. You. Over and over and over and over. Every time we challenge you to do something, every time we come up with a new idea or a new thing and we like put this on you as the body, you do it. And you do it, this past few days has been an incredible example of that. You trust one another, you lean on one another, and literally it's like this moment of you leaning and sometimes you are down for friendships, but at other times there's this glorious moment where you get a glimpse, where you get a glimpse of what it's like to be a friend like Jesus. So may we step in that gap and may we go out as friends.
When we say not today, Satan, not my friends, that's, a, that's like a you and a mirror conversation. Today, I will be this for my friends. I want to be a good friend. I want to be a faithful friend. And for me, I'm committing that it's not about significance. It's about love. What if you, this morning, left completely committed to love your friends? What if these new friendships that you're just beginning with people, what if it was about, like, the basis of it, the connection of it all was about you laying your life down, you laying your time down for your friends, that you lay down your agenda, you lay down your perspective or your experience or your, excuse me, political perspective, anything you have, you're laying that down and you're simply being love to that person. You, at that moment, are being Jesus. You're being what Jesus desired in his disciples. You're experiencing the friendships that he longed for having himself. Would you pray with me? Would you stand? Jesus, thank you for this opportunity. Um, I, I know that there are many moments where we don't feel uh, very significant, or we don't feel very loved, or we don't feel very connected in our friendships. Would you challenge us right now? Would you challenge this church right now to seek love over significance? That we would seek the reality it looks like to lay down our life for our friends. You're not asking us to die. Maybe some of us. But quite literally, you're asking us to live. And true living is us laying down, clearing the path for our friends to experience life and transformation with the power of the gospel the power of you, Jesus, the power of your Holy Spirit. And I just stake that claim right now, God, in the name of Jesus, that you'd help, you'd show, you'd lead this body to new friendships. Lead them back to old friendships. That there'd be restoration, that there'd be hope, and that at the end of the day, it would not be about them, it'd be about you through them even if there's not a return on the friendship. If there's no love in return, may you give them the confidence that this is the way that they're wired, that you've made them as a son, as a daughter, to just love. And there's no condition on that. I pray for these women this morning that have been greatly impacted this weekend by your word and by your move. Edify them, God. Lift them up. Help them to continue to show us what it looks like to lay down a life for a friend. We thank you, Jesus. We praise you. Amen.